Hey there, Jake Chapman here. I'd like to welcome you into episode two of the Orlando Magic Higher Performance Podcast presented by Advent Health. Monday, April 6, 2020. I hope everyone had a good weekend. And I was really pleased last week with our debut episode of this podcast. We spoke with the Magic's High Performance Director, David Kenny, about how he and his staff have kept the Magic players up to speed during this quarantine period. And we spoke about uh, folks like you and I and how we can stay healthy and stay active uh, while we're stuck here at home. And, and for the second episode today, I think this could really be considered a sequel to episode one because we talked about physical health last week. Today, we're going to get into mental and emotional health, which at a time like this, it is absolutely vital that people are taking the time to check in on themselves. Uh, there's so many stress factors right now, anxiety, depression triggers. And so who better to address all of these things and more than Dr. Joe Corella? He is a practicing psychologist and a consulting psychologist for the Orlando Magic. He's worked with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as well. And he joins me today on the Orlando Magic High Performance Podcast presented by Advent Health. Dr. Joe, how are you? Thanks for joining me. I'm very well, Jake. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I appreciate you taking the time, certainly. Um, to get us started, Doc, can you just describe your role with the team normally, sort of according to status quo, uh, what pre-coronavirus day-to-day was like for you and your role within the uh, within the Magic organization? And then kind of can you get into what's changed over the course of, uh, of what the last month or so? Absolutely. So I have the privilege of having now worked with the Magic for four plus years, I like to say. And uh, my role is that of a clinical sports psychologist. And so it gives me the opportunity to really do all the things that I love to do. Help athletes as well as the organization leaders within the organization to perform at their best, as well as identify ways in which we can help people to function and emotionally function at their best. So should there be any issues related to depression, anxiety, uh, any of the mental health concerns that can arise for all of us, given the stressors of regular, if you will, life, as well as now the coronavirus era, um, have the privilege of being able to, to work with people individually and with groups. How has that changed um, basically over the last month or so? I would think, Doc, you know, when I think about the makeup of an athlete, and obviously everybody is unique, but I have to think there are some similar factors um, that can kind of apply, you know, with broad strokes across the entire landscape when you talk about competition and, and routine on a day-to-day basis. And that has been upset. So from a basketball standpoint, you're talking about, you know, getting towards the end of a season, all the work that you put in, the team dynamic um, that, that, that basketball players had put in and, and sort of getting to that end goal. And then that's taken away from you. I have to think that's a big adjustment, sort of a, a rug that's been swept out from underneath you. What are some of the unique challenges that a professional athlete has to deal with mentally at a time like this? So, so you're right. The changes that have occurred have been numerous, right? And the, the first, which I would like to say is so, so oftentimes people are talking now about social distancing and I encourage people to think of it more as a physical distance. So for me, going back to that first question, my biggest change has been not being able to physically be in the presence of others while still trying to maintain the relationships with players, uh, leaders within the organization, et cetera, to help them to continue to operate at their best. And so with the absence of competition and the opportunity to be present physically, one of my biggest concerns, especially for the athletes, but this is true of all, is the potential loss of a feeling of purpose. Mm. 
right? When we don't have that sense of this is what I do, this is why I do it, this is how it contributes to society, to the fulfillment of my own individual desires and dreams. That's the part that I get really concerned about. Um, it's funny. There's a there's a Churchill quote that I that I think of, and it says that, or he said that uh, it's not enough to have lived. We should be determined to live for something. And so the concern is when we don't have that something to live for, the competition, the uh, playing for my family, the playing for fans. Those are the things that I get really concerned about when we when we don't have that. For an athlete, is that is that different than it would be for for you or I, for instance? Um, the, the competition aspect. Okay, I I work in sports. I love competition, but it's it's obviously at a different level right. um, than a professional athlete. Can they replace that? Is there are are there are there positive activities playing Uno with your kids? Are there are there ways to sort of uh, I, I I guess fill that hole, or is it something that you know, you, you just sort of need to, I, I, I guess, um, suspend that that need and say, you know, at, at some point I'm going to be able to get that. So, so given the level of competition that is required to perform at the elite level of a professional athlete, I hope that Uno is not enough to <laughs> uh, to replace it uh, because <laughs> then I'm afraid what might be happening in that dynamic at home. But uh, so, no, that that's really the big loss, right, is how do you compete against the best at the thing that you've trained your entire life to compete at. When that's taken away, there really is no substitute for that. That's one of the reasons why post-career players really struggle because you can't replace that sense. I think that's why coaching becomes a, a real outlet for retired players is because it gives them that chance to be a part of the competition, even though they're not engaged in it physically. They are engaged in it from a relationship, intellectual and emotional standpoint. But no, it's sad to say you can't replace the level of competition, the thrill of what it means to be on the court at the professional level. There's, there's no equivalent to that. And, and also because when you think about for, for our, our players, the energy that you find from being on the court and in front of a crowd and mm. looking across from you at the... Um, one of the other best players in the world that you're going up against. It really is hard to replace that, if not impossible. And that's why, though, I do appreciate that, you know, there's some attempts to have some video game competitions, like mm. the thing that Kevin Durant's involved with, and uh, finding ways to be able to make um, something out of the uh, opportunity, something out of the competition. I'm talking to Dr. Joe Corella. He's a consulting psychologist for the Orlando Magic. Jake Chapman here with you. It's the Orlando Magic High Performance Podcast presented by Advent Health. So the competitive aspect is obviously, you know, that's something that professional athletes aren't necessarily going to be able to replace right now. And, and you know, uh, youth athletes aren't going to be able to. The team dynamic, Doc, and this goes back to, I think, what we were talking about in the first place, um, which is just, you know, the, the difference between social distancing, but also you know, just making sure um, the idea of being around more than a handful of people on a daily basis. How do you deal with that? You know, what are some positive things we can do? I know, you know, getting on uh, uh, FaceTime and, and chatting with people and making sure you're connecting with people is one thing. But team dynamic has been sort of stripped from a lot of people as well. I, I have to think that's been an issue as well. It, it has. In, in fact, my oldest daughter, um, I, I try to ask some questions uh, of of my children that oftentimes I'll use with uh, my 
my in a professional career, right? And so I use them some, sometimes as guinea pigs. And I actually asked her on a scale of from one to 10, where 10 is significantly and one is not at all, what is the impact of the coronavirus, stay at home order, whatever you want to call it, had on your mood? And I was shocked to find when she said 10, because if I looked at her roaming around the house, she seems fine. She seems her normal self, happy, getting things done, engaging really with us and the family in, in the same way that we're accustomed to. So I asked, the, obviously, the follow-up question, and she said, well, the difference is I just missing my friends. And she says, I laugh differently with my friends. I interact mm. differently with them. And so there is that identity shift that occurs when we're not physically present or we don't have the same role that we normally have. And that's why I think the solution to that is finding as many creative ways to connect as possible. I know that school teachers are finding ways to still have group projects work together. I know that our high performance team is finding ways to make sure that guys are staying connected. Leaders on the team are finding ways to make sure that there are some video chats, there are some connections, there are competitions that can be present between them. And that's the thing that's so important is maintaining the relational connection in the midst of all of this. And one of the things I would say that's really required from that is, is, is our, our mental, if you will, framework. And can we reframe this circumstance as opposed to it being a crisis and kind of dare I use a Chinese uh, reference here, but the Chinese symbol for crisis, many of us know and have heard is used by two symbols that of danger and opportunity. So if we continue just focusing on the danger side of this, what we're missing, what's lost, what the problems are, and not focusing on the opportunity part of it, then we really are at greater risk of feeling disconnected, of feeling empty, of being anxious, depressed, etc. And so I think that there are ways to look to this time as a way to do stuff that we haven't done before. And if I may just go a little further in that, sure. if there's one stress that I hear from the work that I do with executives and organizations, as well as with professional athletes and leaders within the Orlando Magic, the biggest complaint oftentimes is there's just not enough time. How do I balance my personal and professional life? And what I think is part of that too is it's there's so much doing that gets the focus, right? We have to work out. We have to prepare meals. We have to play the games. We have to activate before the games. There's a thousand things that have to be done to be prepared to perform at our best. And very little time is left for reflection. So I think of this also as an opportunity, <clears throat> excuse me, as an opportunity for us to slow down, to reflect, and to really consider where am I in my relationships? Where am I in my life? Where are some of the gaps between where I hope to be and where I am right now, and how can I begin to access resources to start to do that? That's fascinating because it does feel like, and, and we've talked about this even from you know organizational standpoints, um, from the <laughs> workplace, the idea of using this as an opportunity to innovate and to rethink your systems and your processes. I think a lot of people, um, you know, and, and, and obviously we're talking about um, we're talking about less important things than overall physical health here. But a lot of people are seeing this as an opportunity to rethink the way that they approach their day-to-day -day or within a, a, a workplace setting, um, the way that they do business. What So it, it, if we spin it that way, and if we have sort of positive out, outcomes, I think, in our head, and, and we set goals, this is how we want to come out of this thing individually and, um, and as an organization. 
What are some fears that you have, Doc, about when we sort of try to ease back into normal? Nobody has a real sense of the timeline here. And, you know, going back to, to kids, for instance, you know, if you are a younger child who hasn't been exposed to school for very long and now you've, you're sort of getting bombarded with all these very scary ideas of a virus and, a, and, you know, an enemy that you can't see. Do you have worries about how maybe kids, how people are going to sort of reemerge um, out of this and ease back in? Are we going to see agoraphobia, uh, agoraphobia, for instance? How are people going to sort of get back into it? And what could be some concerns when we get to that point? You know, it's ironic uh, to say this, but the better adjustment we make to the current state of being with coronavirus and the stay in place orders, the harder it probably will be on the other side. Right. Right. Because especially for, for young kids, uh, I, I think of school avoidance as a real risk. My wife mm. is a child psychologist and she works in a school setting and she's doing a lot of work to try and make sure that routines are developed now that still have components connected to the, if you will, normal operations of being in a school. And that's why the video uh, conferences and having contact or visual connections to teachers, et cetera, are so important because the easier we can make the bridge between physically in school and physically out of school, the more likely it'll be. But there will be a lot of children, and, and you can think about this from a personality perspective, right? The extroverted folks that love being around people, they, they, they can't wait to get back to school. They can't sure. wait to get back into the office. It, for them, it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a joyful moment of reconnection and being able to hug and being able to to play and throw a ball back and forth to each other and raise your hand in class, if you will. But for those folks that are strongly introverted, that just love the idea of being at home. Uh, my youngest Francesca is like that. She is enjoying this and she's set up her office, quote unquote, as a, as her school space. And she only goes in there for school times. Right. Right. And she's going to probably feel that emptiness and people have kind of, uh, the emptiness of leaving the home and that, that, that struggle in getting back. And people have joked about dogs and how dogs are going to be depressed after this because they've been taken on so many walks. Right. Uh, so finding ways to make sure that our vision is, and this is the thing to communicate back to children as well as anybody in your work environment, certainly with the Orlando magic, our vision is that we're doing this temporarily so that we can come back healthfully. And so everything we're doing now is related back to that vision of being in the quote unquote, physical, normal way of interacting, school, work, et cetera. And I guess the, the best way to think about it is uh, uh, healthy habits will apply no matter what. So if you're taking Correct. time to meditate and if you're taking time uh, to exercise and to eat right and you're doing it alone while you're you know under quarantine, then it is going to apply uh, when things get back to, to so to speak. Uh, back to normal. I did want to ask you, it's funny that you brought that up about just sort of different personality types, you know, introvert and extrovert is one thing, but I read this article yesterday in the Daily Beast. So I found it fascinating. Um, the headline is the coronavirus pandemic is a devastating mass trauma, but some people with anxiety and depression have seen their symptoms improve. And it sort of talks about how if you're a person who has dealt with um, issues like anxiety and depression, you're better equipped for situations like this often. And obviously this is on a case-to-case basis. Um, but the author shared some very, very personal things about her battles with depression and anxiety. And she said that 
basically a few days into this, she was getting calls from friends of hers who knew um, that she had dealt with those issues and she was helping them. She knew she mm -hmm. had in place um, sort of all of these processes to deal with these problems um, when, when they crop up in her head, when she has anxiety and depression triggers. And now all of a sudden she realized that, you know, this didn't affect her like it may affect somebody else because she had already been dealing with things like this. Can you see that dynamic happening? I, obviously, it, it's going to affect different people in different ways. Um, but for somebody who, you know, I, I think one of the quotes was, if you're a master dissociator, and this doesn't bother you that much. And I found that right. really interesting, that dynamic. That, that's very true. A master dissociator is able to just put this into another bucket and, right. and operate from there, categorizing it and, uh, and segmenting it, if you will. But yes, I, I would say that that person who is able to use what she learned from other challenges in her life and apply them to this challenge that's fascinating. That, that, that's, mm. that's outstanding, right? I would suggest that one of the things that she was able to do is she was able to recognize that if she has a framework that is, I can look at this positively, I can see that this is something that I do not have control over. One of the things I think people struggle with most is feeling like I don't want it to be this way. And right. if I don't want it to be this way, then I'm not going to accept it. Whereas probably what the friends were able to find from her is an acceptance and a willingness to be vulnerable. I, I can't emphasize enough how important that is. This is, this is truly, I know this is my first global pandemic. I don't know about others, but this is my first. And when we can accept that it is a first and just label it as such, I have never been through this. No one else I know has ever been through this. There's no necessarily right or wrong way. There's no roadmap on, no, no one's written a book on how to do well in a global pandemic that we can follow. And then they potentially compare ourselves to and think, well, I'm not as good as that person or I'm not doing it as well. So acceptance of this being a first, acceptance of the uncertainty of it. Sounds like a little bit about what she was able to do. And accepting her own feelings of, yeah, I am anxious about this and her willingness to talk about it with others. Fascinating, right? It's, it's essential uh, because again, it's physical distancing, not social. So if I can truly open up and share what I'm struggling with, with somebody else, like the, the phrase goes, a problem shared is a problem halved, then I'm not alone with it anymore. And isolation is in some ways a choice, right? It's I can choose to use the modes of communication, the modes of connection that exist to me and still connect. And I think about the connection piece as being so important too, because my wife doesn't have to be in the same room with me or in the same, uh, same house, same building, same city, even for me to still feel that emotional connection and love. As long as when we are communicating physically, we are still being open. We are still being emotionally available to each other. And we are sharing our experiences. And so I do hope that this time together is not spent in the house with more screen time, but actually gives us the chance to put some of that stuff down and connect so that the anxiety, the fears are shared as opposed to held in isolation. Well, that's fantastic. I, I love the idea of uh, physical distancing, not social distancing, because if nothing else, you know, we need to come out of this with, uh, I, I, I think, 100 out of 100 people. If you can't come out of this with some sort of a strengthening of some of your social bonds, 
um, then it is it, it is going to be a truly negative experience for you. Before we go, Doc, and I really appreciate the time, Dr. Joe Carolla, consulting psychologist, uh, for the magic joining us here on the High Performance Podcast. Before we go, Doc, just, just give us some, uh, you know, what should we be sort of keyed into? What are some risk factors and what are some ways for people to be dealing uh, with some of the issues they may be uh, going through right now? Just, you know, what are some, some quick and easy tips for us uh, to sort of stay out of our own head right well, you just said it right there, staying out of your own head. Uh, if we can reflect and we can recognize what are the ways that I struggle, folks that tend to be on potentially the more negative side and kind of tell themselves stories. You see, we, we are meaning-seeking creatures, and when we tell ourselves stories that are negative, they become more powerful inside of us. So mm-hmm. recognizing that that's what I tend to do and altering the story, moving away from what's the problem to what's the opportunity, right? To come from a place of gratitude and really recognizing that because it's so easy to say, oh, I can't do this or I can't do that versus, well, what am I doing? What am I able to do? Being in the present, being in the now is so essential to us being able to feel a connection and an appreciation of where we are. And the fact that, uh, you know, the overused phrase, that which doesn't kill us makes us stronger. And find ways to give to others, right? One of the things that's so impressive about the Orlando Magic organization and each of the players is the generosity that they've demonstrated, the charity, the, you know, you think of what has been posted on on social media from Wessa Wundu and Vooch and Jonathan Isaac, from everybody that's there. And it starts at the top, right? It's, it started at the top. And so the more that we can offer to others and serve others, the easier it is for us to manage our own discomfort and our own distress and to use that kind of inspirational piece. What is my purpose? And relying on faith as well. That's fantastic. Dr. Joe Carrillo, thank you so much, Doc. Really useful, great information. I greatly appreciate the time. Uh, Hopefully we can do it again sometime, okay? Great, uh, Great, Jake. I look forward to that opportunity and thanks so much for having me. All right. There he is, Dr. Joe Carolla, consulting psychologist for the Orlando Magic. I want to thank you so much for listening today. We're going to be back next Monday. My name is Jake Chapman. This has been the Orlando Magic High Performance Podcast presented by Advent Health. Have a great, a safe, and a very healthy week, everybody.